Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Let me pray for us as we prepare to go into God's Word today. Our Father, be our vision. Even now as we look at your Word, help us see the things that you'd have us see. Be our teacher today. Instruct our hearts, mold our hearts. Help us apply the things that um, you'd have us take today. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we're going to be spending time in Philippians chapter 1, which is uh, on page 980 if you grabbed a Bible from the back. It is that time of year where there are uh, every website you go on, newspapers. I was in a, in a uh, news shop yesterday, and all the magazines have the reprisals from 2018, right? All the top this and top that and the memories. And, and one of the things that... Um, one of the ones that came across my news feed uh, in the last day or so was the, uh, the passing of President uh, George H.W. Bush earlier in December. And he was, uh, uh, in, in that there was an iconic picture taken of, of the previous presidents all sitting in a row. And there was, a, I missed it at first because he's aged so much, he hasn't been in the public eye, but there on the end was President Carter, who I hadn't actually noticed at first when I saw the, the images. And it actually flashed back. I had a, a very interesting and unique opportunity to be in a meeting with President Carter, this was five, six years ago, on a publishing project. So because I work in book publishing, uh, one of my clients was doing something, and, and they had caught wind that President Carter had 70 years of Sunday school lessons in his file drawers that he had been teaching at Southern Baptist churches all the time that he had been, even while he was president, he actually taught Sunday school a couple of times. And so this publisher thought, well, we could maybe capture this as a legacy and a, a certainly unique piece of American history to have a president who is also a Sunday school teacher. And so I, they, they were full with the capacity. They called me and said, would you mind looking through these boxes of notes? And I was like, Sure, what an interesting opportunity. And so they made copies, and they, they shipped me a couple of boxes, and I leafed through them and made a couple of recommendations, and they said, well, those are interesting. Would you come to the Carter Center and present maybe these ideas to President Carter? Of course you say yes, right? Because that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, and so there's actually a couple other people who are going to be running the meeting. I was giving lessons in protocol. I was told that I was to extend my hand only when he extended his hand. I was to call him Mr. President. I was to wear a suit, which I did not own, so I had to go buy a suit, um, show up in a suit, and I was to be on time. And so I, I got there with my colleagues, and we were waiting, and, and, and uh, the Secret Service came and, and, and brought us in. This was five, six years ago, but they have Secret Service through their, through their lives. And, uh, and the, the meeting was to begin, and I sat down. He extended his hand, and I shook his hand. Um, and, and there was one other colleague who was not able to make the trip, and so the other people I was with were fumbling with a cell phone, trying to get the speakerphone to work so they could place a call and bring in this, this extra person. And, and I found myself sitting next to President Carter, trying to figure out what kind of small talk do I make at this moment? What kind of small talk do you make to someone who led the free world? And I'm looking, trying to figure it out. And I, so I looked around at his office, and in his office there are pictures and memorabilia and awards and plaques. And it, it was overwhelming. And I, and I said, Mr. President, I said, clearly your room has a lot of history in it. What's the most meaningful thing here to you? 
And he looked around the room and he found a tapestry on a nearby table. It was about four feet tall. And it was, he goes, a, a woman in China, it, it took her eight years full time to weave this tapestry. The premier of China gave it to me as a gift after I normalized relations with that country. And it, as soon as he finished saying that, the, the speakerphone clicked on, small talk was over, and the power of what he said went through me like a ton of bricks. Because here was someone I was sitting with that had normalized relations with China. And as enough of a history major, I, the, the impact of that actually hit me. We didn't have normal, we didn't have political, and he established them. He normalized them. And instantly, I went through midlife crisis. And I think every man in the room could understand the voice all of a sudden went, went through my head was, he normalized relations with China. What have you done? And I, I honestly went through this real, I, I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy in northern Illinois trying to raise his family, trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, trying to put my kids through college, and I'm just a guy. I can't claim anything significant. And sometimes, to be honest, I feel that way when I read Paul. How am I supposed to apply something from super apostle Paul who had it together, who seemed to have everything going for him, who had thought so deeply, how can I find lessons that I can then apply to my life as I look into next year, say, how can I make changes in my life, be more Christ-like, and, and, and apply the lessons of someone who said in Corinthians, follow my example as I follow Christ. And that feels overwhelming to me. And, and as I was studying Philippians this week, I actually found some things in Philippians 1 that I think, you know what? Even I can apply these things. These are simple things, uh, life-changing things, but things that will really restructure my 2019 as I go into a new year. And I think things that um, the rest of us can actually engage a little bit as well, trying to figure out, okay, how do I apply God's Word uh, in what might be a challenging year, maybe a great year, uh, but how do I do this where I can follow Christ more deeply, uh, follow the example of Paul, and what lessons there are from there? So we're going to be in Philippians 1. Philippians was a book that uh, pa Paul wrote in response to uh, the, the Philippians sending him a message. He was in jail. Paul was put in jail. We don't know exactly where. It was likely Rome toward the end of his life, and Paul is in jail likely in Rome. The Philippians, a thousand miles away in northeast Greece, heard about him being in jail, and they sent someone uh, and an offering. They said, you know what, we're concerned about you, Paul. We heard you're in jail, and they sent an emissary to come over to Paul to encourage him, to bring him a gift. And in response to that moment, Paul writes Philippians. You heard about my trials, I, and, and Paul has some pastoral things to say. He encourages a couple people to get along. He encourages the church to love each other, to be joyful, to be thankful. But then he also say, says, you know what, you heard I was in jail. Yeah, it's hard. Let me tell you about that. And he gives them an update that's in Philippians 1, and that's where we're going to be focusing on today. The update of Paul's situation in response to the Philippians' uh, inquiry for him, wanting to encourage him. They sent someone named Epaphroditus with an offering. Must have been after Benevolent Sunday, Jeff. They must have taken their offering, sent it to Paul. And Paul's response to them, and, and he gives them three things that I hope we'll hang on to today. One is Paul encourages them to live with perspective, a perspective of a future kingdom that's coming. He encourages them to live with passion, to love the world that Jesus loved so much. 
and he, he encouraged them to live with a focus with Christ on everything. So our text today, Philippians 1, verse 12, let's walk through it together. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want to stop there. Did you catch the profound and provocative statement there? Here's Paul in jail. He's not free to come and go. Even if he's in house arrest, he's limited. The guy who likes to write, who likes to be out on the road, who spent 10 years traveling, is not allowed to go anywhere. He is confined. He has no freedom. He, the end result of this is, is often death in a Roman prison. And here's Paul in that moment when the end of the line might be soon, says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. There's no self-pity in this. There's no loathing in this. There's no, if only I had done this differently. There's no complaining about the prison food. There's no complaining that the Wi-Fi doesn't reach his cell. He's just in there saying, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. I'm immediately struck with a life lesson there that, that even I, as I look at my 2019 to sit back and say, you know what? Paul had a perspective that there are two worlds. His world was not going perhaps as he wanted it to go. But he was able to look past that and say, there's a kingdom of God and the gospel is going forward. The message of Jesus Christ, that we're all alienated from God, we're enemies with God, we live in our shame and guilt and fear, and Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that message goes out, and that's more important than me being in prison. A different perspective of two different worlds, and one that I think I can easily look at myself as I look at my 2019 and what the challenges might be. Will my business stay open? Will I make college tuition payments? Uh, will I keep my health? Will my family be healthy? Uh, will all the things that we want to have and dream about in 2019, all good things, but there's a more important kingdom at play. And Paul reminds us right away, this is, you know what, his life is in prison, but what has happened has served to advance the gospel, a, a perspective and a kingdom that is even beyond here. Earlier this year, Billy Graham passed away, and someone asked him recently, looking at, at, at his life of service to the gospel and his missionary work and his evangelism, he writes, someone asked me recently if I didn't think God was unfair, allowing me to have Parkinson's and other medical problems when I have tried to serve him so faithfully. I replied that I did not see it that way at all. Suffering is part of the human condition, and it comes to us all. The key is how we react to it, either turning away from God in anger and bitterness or growing closer to him. Billy Graham, like Paul, lived in knowing that there were two perspectives and choosing to choose the one that advances uh, the gospel. Well, Paul didn't just live with a perspective of things to come and the gospel. He also lived with a passion for others. To love the world that Jesus loved so much. Uh, keep reading. Let's go back into the text, verse 13. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the, wor- the word without fear. Even here, Paul has a passion for others. See that? So Paul's in jail, not self-loathing, not, self, uh, not discouraged by a situation, but says, you know what? What has happened to me is advanced the gospel, and here's a couple of practical examples. And he names, it shows his passion for others, not just living for Christ himself, but trying to share that message with others. And the first one, verse 13, it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's in jail, maybe house arrest, but he runs into contact regularly with the Imperial Guard, Caesar's special guard unit. And in that, he, he, he's, his, on his Paul's bucket list is to share the gospel with Caesar. And he's one step closer here because all of Caesar's secret service, so to speak, his special guard, are, have heard the gospel. So Paul is in jail. His number one concern is that all the guards that are guarding me They know the gospel. It doesn't say they've converted, but they've heard. Paul's in jail long enough for word to get a thousand miles over to Philippi, for them to be concerned, send a letter back to, to Paul with an offering. So he's in jail long enough that this time period has happened. And in that time, you know that there is a well meaning guard at some point that would look at Paul and say, You know, Paul, you could probably make all this go away with a simple, well-placed bribe. Or you could make all this go away if you just kind of softened this message about Jesus a little bit. Maybe tone it back. We could just all coexist together. Maybe if you just recanted this part of it, people would look more easily upon you and, and you could be free. This, this could blow over. And Paul's response, because he's Paul and we see it in so many places in Acts and other places, was to say, well, you know what, that may be true, but... I was alienated from God because of my sin. I was an enemy with God and lost and destined for hell. And Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave so that I might know him. And you could know him too. And Paul was just, his passion here for others to love others says, you know what, I'm not just going to love him with my kindness. I'm going to look for a place to bring the gospel message even to those who are my imprisoners a passion for others, and not just his imprisoners, but also, uh, verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Even the Christians in the nearby villages and the cities were able to speak, preached more boldly because Paul was in prison. And rather than Paul taking the attention, isn't it terrible, isn't it terrible, isn't it terrible? Is saying, you know what, this is a gospel opportunity for me to share the gospel in my hardship. And so that even the brothers and sisters nearby were encouraged to share because of Paul's boldness. Example, modern day example, wouldn't happen in today's world. Let's say Pastor Jesse was arrested because of preaching the gospel. Immediately, our, our phones would be buzzing saying, hey, you know what? Jesse's been arrested. Why don't you just lay low for a couple of days? Don't go by the church office. Don't go to Cornerstone. Everyone just don't avoid, avoid eye, eye contact, and this will blow over quickly. And instead, Paul's saying, because of my imprisonment, everybody speaks more boldly about Jesus Christ. So I'm reflecting on my year ahead. I want it to go well. I have dreams for the year ahead. I have things I'd like to see happen. But God help me, 
And God help us that if, if, if it doesn't go like we dream, are there moments in there where we can carry the gospel even in the middle of that hardship to somebody else? That even in the pain and the hardship that we, that we struggle with to say, you know what, this is hard, but I have hope in Jesus Christ. And may God give us the strength to, to, to take that passion for others and say, yeah, it's hard. It's not what I wanted, but I serve a God who has saved me from my sins and given me a hope, and perhaps he can extend that hope to you. I have a friend uh, in Atlanta. I get to visit from time to time. He has Parkinson's. And he's lived a Christian life. He's been a pastor. He's been an evangelist. And it's so hard to watch him struggle with the simple things. To sit at dinner and watch his wife cut his food for him and, 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 and to, to do his daily necessity things. But when you talk with him, you, he never complains about it. He's just always looking for ways to say, hey, you know what, let me tell you what God's teaching me. And he just challenges, hey, are you encouraging your wife this way? What are ways that the gospel's impacting your life? I think what, what a way to, to, to take the hardships of life to say, you know what, this is hard, but life is hard, and, and how can I then show God's grace and God's extension then um, even in that? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Ruth in our sermon here, and that, that, that verse that Jesse read where, where she says, where you go, I will go, is, is often the prayer we have with Jesus. Where you go, I will go. For Paul, it was jail, and he went to jail, and he preached the gospel there. For others, it might be the unemployment line, and we'll preach the gospel there. For those, it might be a tough time with a neighbor, and we preach the gospel there. We'll return to our text. Uh, Paul's in jail, and he, it's not all perfect. He points out in verse 15 that some people are taking advantage of a situation. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So because Paul was in jail, there were some rivals to Paul that said, here's our opportunity. Because he's in jail, now I can elevate my status. Now that he's in jail, maybe my home group will be bigger than his. I can now get my followers, or maybe there were some people speculating that says, you know what, Paul didn't have it all together because if he did, God would not have sent him to jail, therefore listen to me. And they may have been well-meaning people, or they may have been people that were going, uh, just giving into human nature. We don't know for sure, but what Paul's conclusion in verse 18 is they're not perfect, but Jesus is preached. And what a conviction. Sometimes I look at, well, this church doesn't do it correctly. This one doesn't do it correctly. If Jesus is going out, that was Paul's number one perspective. To say, you know what? I've got a passion to tell the world about Jesus. And maybe they're doing it differently than I would do it, but they're, they're preaching Jesus. What an amazing passion for others to see the world keep going, uh, the, me- the gospel message keep going. Good motives, bad motives, Christ is preached. Well, Paul didn't just live with a perspective of eternity, he didn't just live with, a, uh, with, with passion to share Christ with others. Uh, knowing that his imprisonment could lead to death, he lived with a focus in Jesus Christ. 
Let's go to verse 18. The end of that. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, and that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul doesn't know how this is going to turn out. It could turn out badly from an earthly perspective. This imprisonment could lead to death. He, he hopes it may go on, but he says, to, for me, to live is Christ. Paul's identity was Christ. For him, Jesus is life. That's, and that's a powerful thought as I look at my 2019 to say, what will my 2000 be marked by? Am I able to, to, to say with Paul, for, can, can I say, to, Jesus is my life? To live is Christ. Jesus is my life. Can I take that with me no matter where this road takes me? He didn't say for me to live as an apostle, which would have been very understandable and very admirable. He didn't say for me to live is to preach. He didn't say for me to live is to pastor. He didn't say for me is just to get through one more day. To live is Christ. A number of years ago, I was uh, coaching at Wheaton College. I coached baseball and softball for a long time. And I, and I coached at Wheaton, and I enjoyed a player at, at one point, but toward the end of my time there, her name was Leslie. And Leslie was one of these rare athletes that was, when she came in as a freshman, I thought, this, she's, we're going to break her. She's just so small. She's slight. Uh, and, but as soon as she stepped on the field, you realize this is probably the fastest, strongest athlete I have ever coached. And she was a remarkable player, and actually by her junior season in college had earned All-American status, which is very rare in college athletes, but she had achieved it. She had been so successful that as a junior, she was an All-American. After her, so as an All-American, she became a little bit of a celebrity on campus and in the area community, in the softball world at least, and she was invited to speak at an FCA meeting, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting at a nearby high school. And on a Sunday in January, she's talking to, to the girls in the room and says, you know what, I, softball is my thing, but Jesus is my life. And she said, you know what, I've been successful as an all-American athlete, but that's not what defines me. She pointed down to her knee and said, I could tear my ACL and my, my, my athletic career would be put on hold, but I would still have Jesus because Jesus is my life. Three days later, I get a phone call, 10 o'clock at night. And, and it's from one of the team captains that said, Leslie just tore her ACL. And what did she do? She was just in the gym, working out, nothing hard, just landed funny, ACL broken. And she got to live out or prove, is this message true? And to my encouragement and to those around, she did. She said, you know, and she kept saying, softball's just the thing I do. It doesn't define who I am. Well, what is it for us? To live is blank. And for some of us, it could be, we could fill in that blank to say, well, to live is my family. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. But it's not Jesus. 
to live as my ministry, to live as my business, my work, my job. It may be productive, but it's not Jesus. To live as my philosophy of, of homeschooling or how I do family, it, it's good, but it's not Jesus. To live as my music, to live as my ministry, to live as my home, to live as my community, to live as my hobby. All of these things can be really good things, but they get in the way of the one thing, the message we can take from Paul is to live is Christ. I remember in high school and in college, the transformative times for me was when I realized that Christianity is not just an add-on. Jesus is not just an add-on. I don't do my things and then and do church on Sunday or on Wednesday nights. But when I, when I came, when Jesus got a hold of my heart and says, you know what, you're doing all these things, but I want you, that Jesus is your life. To take up my cross and follow Jesus means I go where he goes and I follow him even if it's down a road I don't necessarily want to go. But Jesus is my life. And it's hard. I don't do it well. I don't do it perfect. I do not have it together. Ask these four over here. I don't have it together. But in 2019, I want to make this my prayer more and more and more. Lord Jesus, be my life. And I'm so quickly distracted by all these other good things, by church, by Propel, by ministry, uh, by business, by my family, by all things I want to continue to emphasize, but Jesus needs to be my life. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul is tired of the struggle. He's in prison. He's been on the road a lot. In 10 plus years, he writes in verse 22 through the end of this section, verse 26, that the, and you see the struggle. If I am to live in the flesh, that means more fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in, may, in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul's nearing the finish line, potentially. He says, you know what? I could, be, I could shed my life of all the trouble and the jail and the bread, of water, bread and water and all the hardships, and I could be with Jesus. But what's better probably is what I stay with you. It's funny. Dying is not the sacrifice. Living was. Isn't that interesting? But for, but for Paul, his passion to share the gospel with others and his passion to put Jesus first is, where, Lord, whatever cup you have for me, your will be done, not mine. And Paul says, I think that means I'm going to be here a little while longer sharing the gospel with you. Paul lived with a passion uh, a perspective that was other that, that was eternal minded that says you know what prison's hard but the gospel's going out he lived with a passion for others to say you know what the most important thing is that my neighbor hears the gospel this soldier hears the gospel my prisoners hear the gospel that caesar hears the gospel his number one passion was to love the world that jesus loved so much and he hoped to do that with the idea of saying for me to live is christ so how do we as just a guy in northern Illinois, 
and just a gal in northern Illinois, how do we apply this then to say, well, how do I take this into my next year? Three ideas. And they're just ideas, I think, as I've mulled this over for myself. And they're challenges, and they're three ideas that I are mine. They're, they're not quite resolutions, but you could frame them that way. They're things that say, you know what, I want to go into this year doing these things because they're going to help me live with the perspective and a passion for others to keep Jesus first and foremost. Number one for myself, stretch myself. And, and that is this, getting comfortable having spiritual conversations. To sit back and, and not just talk about spiritual conversations on, well, you know, God's doing good things, but let me tell you about Jesus and the impact Jesus has had in my life. And to look for opportunities to share the gospel where I could, but sometimes I'm scared to. And sometimes those, those stretching myself is simply even at the dinner table. Say, let me tell you what God is doing in my life. And to make it such a natural part of my life so that whether I'm with my plumber or with my family, Jesus, the message of Jesus goes forward. Getting used, stretching myself with, with conversations. Telling my story, which for an introvert is really hard to do. Second thing, just to continue to engage God's word, but not as a duty, but as a connection with God. I think for years, I have engaged God's word as a duty. It's what a Christian does. You're supposed to read the Bible. Okay, check that off my list. Check, check, check. And in 2018, I, I read the Bible through in 2018 with the intent of making this very devotional, which just be like, no doubt. But that was actually a big thing for me because I, because I had engaged the word, word so often as in my job, but then also just as a Christian duty, to, to say, I'm going to read this and God speak to my heart this way. And that's my prayer in 2019. I can do that again in, in 2019, whether I read through the whole Bible or not or parts of it, but to engage God's word devotionally and say, God, speak to me so that I can also say, for me to live is Christ. I would challenge you to do the same. Go into next year with a resolution to say, I'm going to engage the Bible now, how? Maybe for some of you, you'll say, okay, I'm going to read the whole thing. Or I'm just going to read the New Testament. Or I'm going to read the book of Psalms while Jesse's preaching through it. Or, or whatever it is, but find a practical thing. Say, you know, starting next week, starting Wednesday, I'm going to engage God's word this way. A third thing is that I need to do repeatedly and encourage you to do is just to identify your weak areas. To look back and, and fill in the sentence for me, to live is blank. And what are the things that tend to creep up there? And constantly and intentionally and daily sit back and say, no, for me to live is Christ. And I'm going to always battle because I like to work and be productive. I'm always going to battle that work takes that spot. And I'm always going to battle that maybe family should be there or even my wife should be there. And those are all good things, but I want my first spot to say to live is Christ. That's going to be a struggle for me this year, but it's one I'm committed to. And I encourage that that be a stretch for you as well to daily look at this and say, what would, how would my life be different if I were able to say to live is Christ? When I was received a box of President Carter's transcripts and his notes. One line came out a number of times in them. And it was a line that, uh, as teachers are prone to do, you know, teachers get branded for a certain thing. And one of the lines that kept coming out at, toward the conclusion of many of his Sunday school lessons was, you can't change the world, but you can change one person's world. 
And it struck me as ironic because here's a guy that actually changed the world. But then it started to hit me. Sometimes I, I get discouraged because my grand plans aren't what I want them to be. But I can change one thing. And for me, honestly, it's here. I, I, the, the one person I need to change is with God's help is me. And then say, hey, who's one more? How can I encourage my brothers, my sisters, my neighbor to live with the perspective that's not of this world, to have a passion to reach others, and to live for Christ as Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we, as we look at one year passing and we turn the calendar, we have not arrived. You don't ask us to be perfect today. You ask us to follow. Father, as we look at uh, a, a new year ahead, Help us to keep a perspective that, that has an eye on your kingdom, that looks for ways to engage the gospel with those who need it so much, and to live first and foremost where we can say to live as Christ. Father, bless our efforts in this. Keep, keep us encouraged to do so. Uh, keep our perspectives squarely on you. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. When I was in college, I had a mentor, an older man who I love dearly, said four words. He goes, to live is Christ. What does that look like in your life? And I probably thought about that verse more than almost any other verse in the, in, in the Bible in 25 years. I would encourage you to take that verse with you today and just even ask, whether it's a time of journaling or going through a walk in the park or reflecting on your own, what does 2019 look like for you if to live is Christ. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.